Well, let's take some time here tonight in the Word of God, and as we get ready to pray tonight, let's turn to 1 Samuel chapter 17. 1 Samuel chapter 17, to those of you that know the book of Samuel, it's a very familiar passage. Uh, as we've been journeying through, and now beginning really the journey of the life of David, uh, this this chapter is one of the most monumental chapters in David's life. And the ordinary faithfulness and the seemingly mundane things of life is now leading, uh, is, has led him to, to trust the Lord and even what, what he's about to face in the giant Goliath. So as you've, uh, if you've turned there to First uh, Samuel chapter 17, let's begin reading here in verse 1. We'll read the first several verses together. Now the Philistines gathered together their armies to battle, and were, and were gathered together at Shiaco, which belongeth to Judah, and pitched between Shiaco and Ezekah in Ephestemim. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered together and pitched in the valley of Elah, and set the battle in array against the Philistines. And the Philistines stood on a mountain on one side, and, the, and Israel stood on a mountain on the other side, and there was a valley between them. Now tonight we're not necessarily looking as Christians at a physical battle between our nation and another nation, although we don't know what's going to happen in the future in that regard. But in our lives, in our Christian lives, we are in a very real spiritual battle. So while there may not be a lot of direct application to us fighting a 10-foot giant, there is some very real secondary application that God wants to make tonight to each one of your hearts in the matter of, am I fearful when it comes to the giants of life, or am I faithful? So let's pray tonight and ask the Lord to work in our hearts. Father, would you illumine your word to us tonight? And Lord, I pray that our responses, uh, Lord, to these, these big things in life, Lord, would, would show to be faithful and faithful to the cause that you've called us to. Lord, I pray tonight, Lord, that you would uh, take, uh, Lord, the causes that maybe we have been fighting for that are not priority, and Lord, would you replace it with your cause, the cause of your word, the cause of the gospel, the cause that made you die. Lord, would you help us tonight? In Jesus' name, amen. The armies of the Philistines and the Israelites are set in array against each other, and it looks like there's no hope. David now, as he, as we saw last week, he took on the job. He went from the, being a shepherd right into the kingdom of, and uh, as a servant of Saul and became Saul's armor bearer. And now he, he's gone from that position to back to being a shepherd, almost like a demotion in one way, but it wasn't. Saul and his men now are going into battle, and, the, and, the, and they're fearing for their lives when it comes to this giant Goliath who is cursing God's name. And while we're not facing that, like I said, we're, we're, we're fighting a different battle here tonight. We're not fighting political giants that would stand in the way of God's will being done. That's not, that's not our main cause. That's not the cause we're fighting for. I'm talking about the giants that would stop us from from God's cause of the gospel, like self, laziness, fear, pride, those kind of giants that we'll, we'll discuss here later on. But we want God's, God's cause to be carried out in each one of our lives. So in this narrative here tonight, 
we're going to look at two different responses that are shown to the giant Goliath that we'll see. Let's look first at the challenger Goliath. How big of a threat was he? Was he really a first first round draft pick of the Philistines like like he, like it says he was? And I would think so. Verse 4 tells us, And there went out a champion out of the camp of the Philistines named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. And he had a helmet of brass upon his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail. And and the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of brass. And he had greaves of brass upon his legs, and the target of brass between his shoulders. And the staff of his spear was like a weaver's beam. And his spear head weighed 600 shekels of iron, and one bearing a shield went before him. And he stood and cried unto the armies of Israel, and said unto them, Why are ye come out to set your battle in array? Am I not a Philistine, am not I a Philistine and ye the servants to Saul? Choose you a man, uh, choose you a man for you, and let him come down to me. If he be able to fight with me and to kill me, then we will be then will we be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then shall ye be our servants and serve us. And the Philistine said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. Historically, anyone who has defied Israel has failed, thankfully. And the Lord is is true to his his name and his people. But I want you to notice a couple things about this, this challenger, Goliath. His height, depending on the measurement, there's a couple different Hebrew measuring systems. His height is anywhere between 9.5 feet to 11 feet tall. Okay, so that's why his head would be through the ceiling at this point. And anything, any, 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 any man like that would be monstrous in size and very intimidating. His armor says the coat was about, uh, was it 500 shekels, 5,000 she- uh, 5, shekels of brass. And that coat alone, just, the, just the, the coat of mail, weighed about 200 pounds. And so he, was, he, was, he, had, he had lots of armor on him. His spear, it says, was like a weaver's beam. That means with one arm, he was able to wield something that not even the physical, the normal, normal man would be able to lift with two arms. He was with one arm wielding that kind of a weapon. And his mission was to provoke the army of the living God and to defy and curse the God of heaven. I want us to notice first the response of Saul to this challenge. Verse 11, when Saul and all, the, and all Israel heard those words, of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. And you say, well, that, that's not really a, that's not, I mean, I would be too, wouldn't you? And honestly, I, if, if you know God's cause, and you know God's cause is worth fighting for, then your response will be very different. Your response will be like David's. You say, how do you know that? Because Saul's own testimony proves it. You go back to, to 1 Samuel chapter 11. We won't go there for time, but let me remind you of a previous message when Saul was faced with the Ammonites wanting to take Jabesh Gilead. And he was a newly elected king, and, and God's hand was on his life, 
And these Ammonites wanted to come in, and they were telling Jabesh Gilead, we're going to come in, and we're going to pluck out all of your right eyes, and you're going to be servants to us. And they call to Saul for help. And what does Saul do? He takes a, a, a cow, and he cuts it into a bunch of different pieces, and he sends one piece to every single corner of, of, of Israel. And he says, you, all of you men who need to come and fight with me to save Jabesh Gilead, because that's God's people. And if you don't, your, cow, your cows, your cattle are going to become like what you're receiving right now. And his, 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 he knew the cause of God and the cause of, of the salvation of, of God's people. But that's not, that's not the response we see here. We see a response of fear. Saul seemed to have a cause to fight for then, but now, now things have somehow changed to fearing the enemy. What had happened in Saul's life since then? Saul disobeyed the Lord. Saul regarded his own will as more important than God's word. And because of the choices, the small steps in Saul's life, it had led him to now instead of obeying and being faithful to God's cause, now fearing what, what might happen and, 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 and more about self-preservation. When, when God's word hasn't been regarded in our life, our responses to life's giants turn to fear. We no longer believe that God, we, don't, we no longer believe God to be the Almighty as he says he is. Instead, we start running for cover instead of standing for a cause. We allow fear to take hold. I want to ask you tonight, what are some other ways, and, and this is a little bit more informal here tonight, but what are some other ways that fear takes hold as a response in our life. And just continue to think about that. We've already, when God's word is not obeyed, but what about when a lie is embraced? The two ladies talked a little bit about that tonight in our testimony time. When a lie is embraced, uh, Saul, who, had, who indeed was facing consequences in his life, was losing out on the long-term reign of Israel because of that disobedience. And, but he could have turned his eyes back to God at any time and ended strong, but chose to believe the lie that, hey, I, you know, God's hands off my life. I'm, not, there's no way I'm sending myself out there. There's no way I'm sending Jonathan out there. I don't know what was going on in, in his mind. God's word doesn't tell us. But there was a lie that was being believed because fear was taking place. Fear was taking place. You think about Saul. Saul was the, the worthy one to go out there. It says in, in, when, when he was uh, elected king of Israel, he was head and shoulders above everybody else. He was the tallest one there. And, and he probably would have been the, the one that should have fought. But a lie that there, there was that was believed in his life that caused him to fear and turn and run. A lie in our lives... That, 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 that can be believed is that when we sin against the Lord, or maybe we're facing consequences because of our actions against the Lord, is that we can no longer be used by God in any capacity. We can't be used by God to face those giants and to win victories for God. We almost get this idea in our heads that God doesn't want anything to do with us anymore, and we should just exist or give up. And that is a lie from the devil. 
that should be rejected every single time. That's a crippling lie that we can believe. God does want to use you. God does want, to, does want you to be faithful. He doesn't want you to, to be fearful like Saul here. So let's look at the faithfulness of David now. Look at verse 12 with me. Now David was the son of an Ephrathite of Bethlehem, Judah, whose name was Jesse. And he had eight sons, and the man went among men for an old man in the days of Saul. That just means that Jesse was now really elderly. So Jesse, Jesse now was, was, was an old man. Verse 13, And the three eldest sons of Jesse went and followed Saul into battle. And the names of his three sons and what, that went to battle were Eliab the firstborn, and the next unto him Abinadab, and the third Shammah. And David was the youngest, and the three eldest followed Saul. And David went and returned from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. And the Philistine drew near morning and evening and presented himself 40 days. Think about that. Okay, once in the morning, once in the evening, 40 days, 80 times at least. He's coming out and defying the armies of the little living God and defying the name of God. And I don't know about you, but as a soldier in the army, I can picture myself there and being very tired and very fearful of constantly hearing this voice, this booing voice saying, you, you all are going to be servants of, of us. And look at, verse, look at verse 17 now. And Jesse said unto David his son, Take now for thy brethren an ephah of this parched corn and these ten loaves, and run to the camp of, to thy brethren. And carry these ten cheeses unto the captain of their thousand. And look how thy brethren fare and take their pledge. What does that mean? That simply means uh, bring back something that I know that they're still alive. It was common in Israelite. If you were to run to a battle uh, to support your family, as many families would do, they would bring food to their family to support that portion of the army. They would bring back a lock of their hair or a piece of their nail to let their father and mother know that they were still alive. That's what it means to take their pledge. Verse 19, now Saul and they and all the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah fighting with the Philistines. Now I want you to notice the character of David in verse 20. And David rose up early in the morning and left the sheep with the keeper and took and went as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the trench as the host was going forth to, to the fight and shouted for the battle. Three things that already show us that David was faithful was in the mundane things of life. All right, He rose up early to complete the command that his father had given to him. He didn't wait until the afternoon. He didn't sleep in that day. Okay, There was another day for sleeping in. He didn't sleep in that day. He had a command to keep. He left the sheep with a keeper. He didn't leave a responsibility for his elderly father to, 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 to finish and, and take care of while he was gone. He left the sheep in good hands. As little of a, of a thing was, uh, that was his family's uh, heritage. That was his family's livestock. So he took care of that. And then it says, and, and went. 
as Jesse had commanded him. He simply obeyed. He simply did what God was telling him to do. And as we're going to see here in a moment, that obedience is taken as a misunderstanding for something totally different. And even in that, he's faithful. Verse 21, For Israel and the Philistines had put a battle in array, army against army. And David left his carriage in the hand of the keeper of the carriage and ran into the army and came and saluted his brethren. And as he talked with them, behold, there came up the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, out of the armies of the Philistines, and spake according to the same words, and David heard them. And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were sore afraid. So as David's coming in, I just, just picture it. David's coming in. He's just left his, you know, his belongings with the, the keeper of the carriage. He's coming to bring his brother's food. And all of a sudden, this man comes out of the midst of the, of the army and he starts defying Israel and defying the God of Israel. And everybody around him is tucking and running. And he's like, wait, what, what in the world? What, I've just heard this, this man curse God. What are we going to do about this? Verse 25, And the men of Israel said, Have ye seen this man that is come up? Surely to defy Israel he is come up. And it shall be that the man who killeth him, the king will enrich him with great riches, and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. And David spake to the men that stood by him, saying, What shall be done to the man that killeth this Philistine and taketh away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Already you can see David's faithfulness. He believes in a faithful God. He's not fearing and tucking and running. He's believing that God is who God says he is. Verse 27, And the people answered him after this manner, saying, So shall it be done to the man that killeth him. And Eliab, his eldest brother, heard when he spake unto the men, and Eliab's anger was kindled against David. And he said, Why camest thou down hither? And with whom hast thou left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know thy pride and thy, the naughtiness of thine heart, for thou art come down that thou mightest see the battle. And was any of that true? He hadn't left the sheep in the wilderness. <laughs> He had left them with a keeper. He didn't come down to see the battle, although it was probably neat as a, as a kid of his stature. That wasn't why. He was there to obey. He was there to obey his father's command. And David said, verse 29, What have I now done? Is there not a cause? Isn't there a cause worth fighting for here? Why are we all running? Why is this man allowed to stand day after, and he probably didn't know how many days that, that that man had been out there, but why is this man even allowed to stand and defy God in the way he, he's doing? Verse 30, And he turned from him toward another and spake after the same manner, and the people answered him again after the former manner. So in other words, it wasn't just his brother that was cursing him and telling him to go home and you're not here because you want to be here for the right reasons. And David is just saying, hey, is there, is there not a cause here? And these accusations, David was faithful in the face of those. 
because he was seeing God as being a God, the Almighty, the God who is who he says he is. I want to take a moment here and just kind of shift our focus because the, the reality is we're not fighting a 10-foot giant tonight. We're not fighting uh, a physical battle when it comes to a Goliath. But there are many causes that are fought for today. And there are many Christians that jump on the bandwagons of many causes. Can you think of some of those that are happening today? Even good causes. What are some causes that people jump on the bandwagon for today? Feed the hungry. Feed the hungry. Anything else? Just like... Okay, Ukraine, the Ukrainian war, siding with Ukraine against, against Russian oppression. Abortion. Is that what you were about to say? Anything else? So those, those are all good causes, uh, constitu- our constitutional rights and freedoms. Okay? Uh, we believe that they're, they're given to us by God. All right? All of those things are rights that we want, okay? Causes of research for cancer and other diseases, all types of political causes that we can think of that we jump on the bandwagon very readily for. But when what the name above every name's cause is, what what the Almighty's cause drove him to do was what we're really celebrating this week and what people all around us are celebrating this week even in, in other, other denominations, uh, they're going to celebrate Good Friday here in a little bit. And then Easter morning. And we have the opportunity to share a cause and to fight for a cause that is far beyond any other causes that we might support or be a part of here on this earth. What cause is really important and what cause is worth fighting for? It's the cause of the gospel. It's the cause of the gospel and the cause of your, your father's name. You know, when someone says, oh my, and sticks you know, God's, word in there, God's name in there, you know, I'm not saying to get mad at them or even to really correct them because that's what unsaved people do. But how are you responsive to them? You know, friend, you know, would you not? not talk about my Savior like that? Can I just share with you how precious my Savior is to me? And I'm just asking you, can you do that from a real heart? Is your Savior actually that precious to you that his cause, his name, is worth not being trampled through the dirt? Is it worth something a whole lot more to you that's worth fighting for, the cause of the gospel? What are the giants in our life, and there's many more than maybe what I have listed here, that stop us from this cause? Self, self-preservation, self, it's, I don't have time for that. Laziness, as a Christian, I'm just lazy. I, I, you know, I, I don't get up and do that. I, I uh, you know, it'd be too much work to go over there and, and strike up a conversation with them and, and start telling them the gospel. Or maybe it's the giant of fear. I'm afraid of what they might think about me. I'm afraid of what my reputation... I might be labeled a Jesus freak. I might be labeled this or that. And those giants need to come down. Just like 
we're going to see next week in David slaying this giant, there are giants for a cause greater than beating that of a Philistine giant that need to come down in our lives if the cause of the gospel is to go forward in our day and age. So may the Lord help us in these days, in this week, be faithful, not fearful.